This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm Guy Clarkin in my lounge this afternoon for today's episode and joining me are three gentlemen also located in their own houses as well. Connor Dunn tells me reliably he's in the lounge. Connor, how are you, mate? I'm very well, thank you, Guy. How are you? Yeah, not so bad, thanks. Sean Bradbury, you're with us via the uh, connection for the first time in your dining room. In my dining room, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very well. I'm really happy to be hearing your voice, to be honest, Guy. I, I find your voice very reassuring. I think if you were giving the government announcements around coronavirus, I'd, I'd be I'd be sound with that. If you said I had to be in lockdown for, for months, I'd just, I'd just go with that. Very <laughs> reassuring. Thanks, I appreciate that. And to be fair, I, we don't want to sort of wish any ill on anyone in the government, but there have been a few positive cases, so you don't know. I might get the call at some stage. And joining us from the kitchen, so. yeah. And joining us from the you kitchen, mean tested positive. Yeah. <laughs> joining us from the kitchen is Paul Gorse. Gorsley, how are you, mate? Yeah, surviving, getting through the box sets and all that. Dusted off me, me PlayStation. Um, find a way to get through every day, but all right, aren't we? Is that PlayStation Two? No, 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 not, not that archaic. No, he's, he's got the up-to-date one. Anyway, guys, we've got a fair bit to get through today. Jurgen Klopp's been holding a, uh, a Q&A, so we're going to go through a couple of the points that he's raised in that, as well as a feature that's been on the Liverpool Echo website, ones that got away, players that Liverpool were oh so close to signing, but the deals didn't quite happen, as well as perhaps throw that forward to players that maybe in the current era they have been looking at but haven't quite been able to secure their services before. We'll then wrap things up with talking about the latest news regarding when football may return and an enemy that are perhaps lining up with Liverpool in support ahead of football, hopefully returning sooner rather than later. That's the agenda of what's to come up. And as I say, we best get into Jurgen Klopp's comments first, guys. And Gorsley, he's had some really nice things to say about the NHS, something you'd expect no less from Jurgen Klopp. Yeah, so two weeks on from his um, his impassioned plea for, for football supporters to basically look at the look at the stuff that matters really. Um, so that was delivered two weeks ago when it was told that you know, the Premier League would be suspended until April the third. Now it's obviously moved on to April the thirtieth. So Klopp has spoken publicly again for the first time today. He's given a lengthy interview to the club's official website, and there's so much so much good stuff in there as you'd expect from from Jurgen Klopp when you you get a chance to, to sit down with them one on one. I think the, probably the big takeaway from it was the, the praise he's given to the NHS. And he said that uh, he was shown a video from a, an intensive care unit in a hospital where they were all singing, you never walk alone. And it, it just brought him to tears. Um, he's been so full of praise for all the health workers across the country. And uh, as you'd expect, it was all all good stuff from the Liverpool manager. Um, he also talked a little bit about the WhatsApp groups that are going on and everyone's in there and, and the, the group chats are non-stop. Uh, he said he loves all the stuff the players are doing on Instagram to so basically pass the time and keep everyone entertained and he's all for it. He said he's what's the, the Taken 3 trilogy, um, probably get through a few more trilogies in, in the downtime over the next few weeks. And yeah, it was just good to hear from wasn't it? Obviously we, we haven't heard anything from him for two weeks and um, it was a good message. 
And Sean, obviously, when this all first sort of came out, he initially came out with a statement of basically saying, stay safe to Liverpool supporters. But as Gorsty mentions there, firstly, the you'll never walk alone. Obviously, it's the anthem of Liverpool Football Club, but it seems to be becoming almost something bigger than that as well. Liverpool, not just, obviously, we're the Liverpool Echo, but not just a regional club of Liverpool, of Merseyside, of the nation, a worldwide club as we know now. And obviously, unfortunately, this pandemic is worldwide, yet it is the Liverpool anthem, you'll never walk alone, that really sort of seems to be uniting behind everyone's cause to beat this disease. Absolutely, yeah, it's, it's resonated, hasn't it? We heard it on radio stations across Europe, even across the world um, earlier earlier this month, obviously. I think last night when there was the eight o'clock clap for our carers across the, the UK, there was lots of videos doing the rounds, especially from Liverpool, where you never walk alone was being played in the background. And I think, like you say, it's, it's that type of anthem, isn't it? It's got such a positive message. And in a time like this, it's, it's got to be even more meaningful. But yeah, I think picking up on some of the other stuff Klopp said, it's just it's just a master communicator, isn't it? I think it's so significant that people like him are, are joining the kind of chorus of telling everyone to stay safe and kind of reinforcing all the advice. You know, it's one thing for politicians to say it on the news, but people like like the Liverpool box has got such a platform um, across all the social media channels of the club. It obviously gets picked up in, in media across the world. It's it's really significant that, that he kind of impresses the message as well. He's, he's done that superbly um, pretty much all since the lockdown, I'd say. But yeah, there were some other nice bits and pieces. I think he said the WhatsApp group. I think it was telling that he said everyone in Melwood's in that. Just, just kind of shows shows what he's all about and the togetherness of the club. And yeah, I love that Taken thing too. He's obviously watching watching Taken just in case we take the title off Liverpool and they can thought out what to, what to do there. But yeah, some, some lovely stuff and he spoke well as, as he always does. Yeah, he certainly does. As you say, the point of him being a, a master communicator, Connor, I don't know about yourself, but obviously he's so infatuated by football that managers and the good communicators like Jurgen Klopp, they speak to supporters like politicians can't. Yes, we have the news conferences weekly, but just to hear from somebody like Jurgen Klopp, it, it really does sort of resonate with you, doesn't it? Yeah, it certainly does. He's obviously a man you totally respect and you hang on his every word. And he's an incredible orator. And, you know, Sometimes he might have a bit of a waffle, but every time he speaks, he makes a, such an important point. And I've said this before in the podcast, but I sometimes think that Klopp has a time machine because he never, ever seems to get things wrong. You know, he kind of goes into things with such an open mind and, and it seems to take a perspective that hardly anybody else has got. And, you know, for him, as, as Gorsi and Sean have rightly said there, for somebody like Klopp to be you know, giving this statement and to be putting his weight behind it, it's, it's just so nice to see. And, Nothing less than you'd expect from him, really. No, certainly not. And Gorsty, on that point there that Connor says about Jurgen Klopp sort of almost at times being like he's in a time machine and taking a stance that not many people do. You were in the room a couple of weeks ago ahead of the Atletico Madrid game when he was asked by a reporter about coming over from Madrid to cover the game. And Jurgen Klopp basically turned around and said, this isn't a football issue. This isn't a sporting issue. It's a societal issue that we need to get on top of. I'm not here to talk about the impact it's going to have on football. Obviously, he said it for the first time. I think it was after Chelsea in the FA Cup. And everybody, yeah. you, you seem to get a feeling, thought, oh, this is a good thing to get in, into him now. Like the fixture pile-up thing, it was something that he would speak a lot about. No one was quite taking it as seriously as Jurgen Klopp obviously knew it was. Yeah, I was at Anfield actually for that pre-match press conference and a reporter from Madrid. He was actually a South American journalist, but he worked for one of the Madrid publications and he asked him about it and uh, like the person who asked him at Chelsea, he was given the short shrift and basically he's right, isn't he? He was saying at the time, I'm, I'm only a football manager. 
why am I why am I sound bites on, on this worldwide pandemic being beamed across news stations and, and whatever else? He's not the the expert on that type of stuff, so it's a little bit um, a little bit out of his comfort zone, if you like. And, and he was right to kind of fire back in the way he did, but um, it was a, still remains a strange one for me that week, thinking that three thousand fans from Madrid were allowed over to Merseyside at a time when Spain had or Madrid accounted for around about half of Spain's entire coronavirus cases at the at the time. It's it's no doubt shot up since then and I think Spain is now the fourth fourth worst country on earth for, for you know in you know recorded cases. Um still a strange one for, for me that and Klopp's actually said today that he found it strange as well and he, he found it difficult to prepare properly for that game, knowing that you know what was going on in the world at a time when Spain had closed all their schools and universities and were obviously preparing for the worst. They banned all travel to China and subsequently banned all travel from from anywhere. I think so. Um, this was only just over two weeks ago. So, if it's strange how far this country has come since then, and and you you've got a question why it was allowed to go on as long as it did. But um, yeah, it was, it was a very strange one. Three thousand Madrid fans coming across at a time now when when you walk the streets and, and there's no one within you know hundreds of yards. I thought it was really interesting, actually, what Klopp said today. And he obviously made the point that he's not looking for excuses, the fact that Liverpool went out of the Champions League. And that's that's the main issue here. But he sort of said that that Friday when they arrived to train, it wasn't a training session. It was more of a meeting about the coronavirus. It was more of a meeting about what they do next. And that is, I know he, he was saying, and he put it, put it perfectly, as he often does, that he was thinking about things that he's never had to think about before in his life, let alone before a football match. So how that was allowed to go ahead when you think just literally the day after that game, all of the matches were called off and football came to a total standstill. It, it kind of begs belief, really, that how, you know, as of course you said, 3,000 Madrid fans were allowed to travel over and Liverpool had to prepare to face Madrid as one of the epicenters of the coronavirus. It's a very strange, strange case, really. Yeah, certainly is, like you say, Con, it, it does just sort of, it's beggar's belief, really, that UEFA did continue for, for obviously, trans-European uh, competition as it was. But, of course, no one knew the, the extent of things. And as Connor said there, Sean, Jurgen Klopp was having to prepare for that Atletico Madrid game that was one of, if not one of the most important games for Liverpool in the whole season, with all of this going on in the background. And yet Liverpool played so well on the night. Absolutely, yeah. I think it's a measure of him and his staff and, and the squad in terms of like the, the focus on the night. I mean, obviously, we, we've been over this in pods, but... They played absolutely superbly to a man. It was half imagining, perhaps, but it was it was one of them, wasn't it? You couldn't couldn't really fault much of the performance and the, the, the focus in the circumstances. But yeah, I think like like Connor said, things have been foisted upon Klopp and 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 other managers. I guess you know every every, every football manager and people involved in the game, they've all now got a platform, haven't they? And they're all kind of responsible for for pushing the message. And yeah, it must have been must have been very difficult for him to do internally, but. To be fair, he's doing it superbly externally, and I think that's that's the thing that matters most. Well, let's change tack now. We've we've spoken about that for now. Let's park it uh, there. If you do want to hear what or read what Jurgen Klopp has had to say during that Q and A that Gorsley mentioned before, there is plenty on the Liverpool Echo website. What he said uh, about that Atletico Madrid game, and also his praise for NHS and other key workers. You can find it on the Liverpool Echo website. Where 
also you can find a feature that's been going round today on Friday afternoon of ones that got away for Liverpool Football Club and we're going to now talk about them here of course during this uh, suspension of football there's been plenty of transfer stories on the uh, website not only the Liverpool Echo but everywhere all sort of transfer stories going on but this one really sort of caught my eye guys ones that you guys have all individually looked back on one transfer dealing that looked like it was going to get over the line looked like it was going to happen only for it to fall apart for various reasons. We'll start with you, Gorsty, and we'll look at the case of Alexis Sanchez, who in 2014, it looked as though he was nailed on to come to Liverpool, having gone so close to the Premier League title. Then, of course, Arsenal swooped in. Yeah, so when Liverpool lost Luis Suarez in the summer of 2014, there was no uh, ready-made replacement for him, was there? He was such a such a talisman for Liverpool. He scored 31 goals that season, I think. Um, the absolute, you know best player in the Premier League at that time. So Liverpool were left in a little bit of a little bit of a sticky situation. They got a they got a, a really good fee for him from Barcelona, but it was how do you go about reinvesting that? And it looked like Alexis Sanchez was as close as you can get to a to a carbon copy at the time. Um so Liverpool went after him. I think it was I think the money was around about 35, 40 million was it, something like that. Um, and he would have been the man to just come in and, and just try and provide what, what Suarez had done the, the previous season, but as it turned out, he, he decided to, to choose Arsenal ahead of Liverpool, and Liverpool were left with <clears throat> no one to really t- take over that mantle. They ended up bringing in Mario Balotelli, Ricky Lambert, Daniel Sturridge was often injured, and it just it's the be- beginning of the end for Brendan Rodgers' Liverpool reign. So I think that the the one who got away for me was, was Alexis Sanchez because Liverpool were ready to push on after finishing second that season, who were back in the Champions <coughs> League and. And whatever else, and losing Suarez was a, was a huge blow. But bringing a Sanchez in as a as a replacement would have been as as close as you could have got to ideal at the time. But never turned out that way in Liverpool. Took them some time to get back on an even foot after that. Obviously, it was a summer in which we heard a lot about the the infamous transfer committee, which in all all respects really isn't all too different to how Liverpool operate now, with Michael Edwards obviously now having assumed a real key role. Probably wasn't quite that influential at the time, but just wondering and obviously thinking that Luis Suarez went to Barcelona, Sanchez was a Barcelona player, Sean. If this is the kind of deal that Liverpool wouldn't let slip through their fingers now, they would ensure that actually, rather than £75 million for Suarez, it would be, say, £40 million for Suarez, with Sanchez as a bolted-on, nailed-on part of the deal to make sure that it happened. Yeah, definitely. I think that the whole the whole kind of dynamics of, of the two clubs, really, if they've shifted now, haven't they? Liverpool's position is so different on and off the pitch, on the pitch, obviously. They're, they're European champions, world champions, and... and reputation is huge and I think obviously we're going to move on to this aren't we and looking ahead to what could happen in terms of this summer but you know any player in world football now if Liverpool were in for them you would imagine that they'd be right at the top of their list in terms of places they'd like to go but yeah like you say I think Edwards and co it's it's there's rarely a miss nowadays in terms of transfers isn't there it's 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 pretty much hit after hit so I think that the whole package would would mean that something like that wouldn't happen and I think it's he makes a good case as well. I think he's he's uh, he's certainly one of one of the best ones. I kind of feel though at that time, the whole team was kind of not disintegrating. That's maybe a bit too harsh a way, but you know that that season felt like kind of stretched every sinew and, and milked everything um, out of the squad to try and get where they almost got. Um, you, had, you know, an agent Stephen Gerrard, didn't you, in his kind of quarterback role and and, and what have you, and obviously that great attacking talents up front who, who who kind of piece things together. But uh, 
should I should I go ahead and uh, rattle off my one? Or no, you hold you hold yours. No, we'll no, come back to, to you. No, because just because I want to get I, w- I want to get everyone's thoughts on yeah. everyone else's individual uh, players, and obviously the reasoning really that was sort of put out in the end for Alexis Sanchez not coming to Liverpool was that his other half didn't want to go to Merseyside. She wanted to go to London. Madness now to really think with Jurgen Klopp at the helm, Connor, that a player would choose something so arbitrary like that to say, "Of oh, that's why we're not going to a club." If if any player in the world was offered Liverpool now, they wouldn't be bothered if it was Chelsea or Arsenal who wanted them. They would go there because of what's been built. Yeah, exactly. It's just as Sean said there. To be honest, that Liverpool's position now in the transfer market in world football is totally different to the one it was at the end of 2013-14. Um, they are obviously probably the hottest prospect to be at for any any young player, any senior player playing for Klopp, playing for the European World Champions, playing for the champions of the Euro- England elect. It's just every single thing you've got going for you for Liverpool or for any English team that could have possibly going for them. Liverpool have got it right now. They've got the, the best manager in the world. They've got one of the best transfer committees. And just what you were saying there, you think of some of the deals that Edwards has pulled off, like Solanke, the 20 million down to Bournemouth and, and things like that. It's every single time they, they go, they delve into the market, either in-goings or outgoings. It's just an absolute, an absolute win for Liverpool. And you just cannot see any way that something like Sanchez could ever happen again for Liverpool. It just right now for fans who have really got into this in the last few years, probably would beg belief that something like that could happen. A player would be going, oh, but I want to live in London. My missus wants to live in London. <laughs> You've got no hope of that happening now, given the statue of Liverpool and the club and the manager and just everything about them on and off the pitch as well. So. Yeah, well, it obviously did work out for him when he came to the Northwest, anyway. But anyway, we'll leave Sanchez there. We'll move on. Sean, on to your play now. And in 2005, Liverpool went into the Champions League. Obviously, as reigning holders, they came up against Benfica and a certain winger who I believe, off the top of my head, did score against Liverpool. And it seemed as though in 2006 he was going to arrive at Anfield. And that is Samal. Yeah, he's the one for me, Samal Sabrosa, Portuguese winger. Um, very tricky little player. Good dribbler, good crosser, good set-piece taker. Um, unfortunately, yeah, like you say, I think it was March 2006, Liverpool learned to their cost that he could absolutely crap one in from 35 yards, uh, which he did at Anfield. I think it was a, there was a comedy of errors that led to him being in that position, but yeah, can't take it away from him. It's one of the best, one of the best goals I can remember seeing being scored against Liverpool. But yeah, the whole, the whole situation, I think... Was, was a bit of a mad one. Like you say, it was in the months after Istanbul. I think it was that summer. Um, and everything looked like it was nailed on. Like he was, he was even, there was even some suggestion he was almost bound um, to catch a flight to come over and, and seal the deal for reports at the time suggested it was like eight, nine, ten million, um, which, you know, pr- pr- pretty big money back then. Um, yeah, and I just think he, he had everything. He was part of those Portugal teams of a good mix of snide and skill, wasn't he? He would have, he would have fitted into that team. It was, I think if you look back at, the last couple of decades for Liverpool, obviously until now when the situation's totally different. Wingers was always one of the things, wasn't it? Maybe even since Matt Manaman, that where you thought the squad had lacked someone who really had a bit of class. Um and yeah, I, I just think when you look when you look beyond Istanbul, obviously there was the Steven Gerrard FA Cup final. There was there was the near miss in, in 2008, 2009. But I think that that team that Rafa built for me is one of one of the great nearly teams, certainly in Liverpool's history, because Obviously, you had the, the other Champions League final against AC Milan that, that, that wasn't won. You had uh, being knocked out in the semis as well, wasn't there? Um, and I think someone like him could have been, and 
I'm not going to forgive myself for using this phrase, but it's it's the last piece of the jigsaw job, isn't it? He was, he, he just for me, he kind of had everything. And when you look at 2008, 2009, I think Albert Riera is, is the one player who kind of sticks out. He played 40 games in all competitions that season, which is which is bonkers, really, because I can't really remember him doing anything. But but there he was as a, as a kind of functional piece piece of the team. But I think if you'd had another man with star quality, so someone like Simao. I think for me that would have made all the difference, and then you would have you would have had a threat kind of everywhere you looked, rather than relying on Gerard Torres, uh, Dirk Kouts working hard on the right. So yeah, somehow for me, yeah, it seemed to be sort of as you say, two thousand five, two thousand six, and and maybe even two thousand seven. He seemed to be linked every single year. It was during the time, obviously, Portugal had wingers Cristiano Ronaldo, Ricardo Quaresma. Samal was another one off the production line, Gorsty, and there was real, real excitement that this deal was going to happen. Yeah, um, <clears throat> off the top of my head, I seem to remember Liverpool had almost done the deal, and, and as Sean says, it was ready to, to be completed with a flight. And then Benfica up the price that they to around about twelve million. And I think it was Rick Parry at the time didn't didn't want to go above ten. Um, and I think if you look back over the course of Liverpool's recent history over the last twenty years or so, there's probably quite a few deals where Liverpool just refused to pay that extra few million quid and. Sometimes it might have worked out for them on principle. Sometimes it's it's been to their cost. Cristiano Ronaldo was probably the, the most notable example of that in 2003, when United Manchester United come in and, and paid the 12 million. And Liverpool weren't prepared to go above round about eight from Sporting Lisbon. Um, somehow, as Sean mentioned, somehow it was certainly one that that um, come back to bite Liverpool on the backside. Yeah, and Connor, it was it was one of those where without somehow Liverpool had to make do a year or so later with Mark Gonzalez. Didn't quite work out for him, did it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, as Sean said, it was one of those missing pieces. And I think that 2008-2009 team was probably one of the best, apart from now, in my living Liverpool memory as a complete team. And you think they went so, so close. Obviously, they were coming up against that United time team that's probably one of the best sides they've ever had as well. But yeah, you just felt if Liverpool just had that little bit more, they would have gone that little bit further. But I thought, Sean, you put it absolutely perfectly on Twitter earlier. And I'm going to steal this because I'm <laughs> still wondering what time Samal's playing is landing at the JLA. <laughs> it just seemed to be just on the cusp of happening all the time, didn't it? I, just, I remember it so well. Yeah, but, imagine that now as well. Like everyone loves loves flight radar, don't be like tracking a flight when a when a new sign is yeah. coming in. I think that would crash that website now if that happened again. <laughs> yeah, certainly is the case. And as you say, I, I have seen people. Obviously, I've. Uh, Unfortunately, I've not been one of those who's been on those flight websites waiting for a player's <laughs> flight to land. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Connor, we'll go with your one. And yours is a man who, in the end, went down the M62 to Manchester United and became a Premier League legend. Yeah, I mean, Sean and Gorsi have really painted the picture for me really well here, to be honest. My player is Nemanja Vidic. Liverpool had a chance to sign him in um, 2006, about eight months after the Champions League he win in Istanbul. Um, he was 24 at the time. Spartak Moscow looked like a really serious prospect and Rafa was on the phone to him, basically about to sign. Um, Man United swooped in, pinched him for £7 million. And all his travails that we've talked about against Fernando Torres aside, he was an absolutely sensational centre-back. I know, obviously, Liverpool went on to get Agger, went on to get Skirtle, but he, but Vidic at the time would have come in and replaced Hoopia. And you know what he went on to do and what a defender he went on to be and his stats and everything, when you look back, it's just sensational. And you think that 08-09 team, although he did have a really solid defence, 
somebody like Vidic in the heart of it would have just been another one of those you think, oh, what an extra level of quality he would have given. And again, just Liverpool not quite moving quickly enough in similar vein to Ronaldo with Vidic. They just didn't get him. And yeah, that one for me is was a tricky one because obviously, as I said, Liverpool got some really decent options at centre-back, like Agger's cultured left foot, brilliant, bent skirtle, hard and tackle, good pairings, Carragher there as well, evergreen, but I just you just feel like Vidic was just that extra bit and I think we would have done at Liverpool well there. Tongue firmly in cheek here, Gorsley, as I ask that, and Connor referenced it, we, we know so well Nemanja Vidic's battles with Fernando Torres. Confidence, such a big thing for defenders. Had that been on the training ground at Melwood every week, would Vidic have become the player he, he did become? <laughs> That's a good point, actually, yeah. I didn't think of that. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I can see where Connor, Connor's coming from. But Nemanja Vidic, he would have really... Have, Toughened up that Liverpool back line, wouldn't he? Liverpool were, Liverpool were good, really good defensively under Rafa Benitez. <clears throat> Let's not pretend that they, that they weren't. But had they had him, he would have come in for what five or six years and been a really top level centre half playing alongside whoever, really. Um, so he, he was certainly one who got away for Liverpool from a defensive point of view. But it was only really when he brought in um, Pedro van Dijk, wasn't it, that you, you sort of realised that this is what a, a top centre half looks like because. For years, Liverpool had bought players who, who were maybe a level short of what was required. Thinking of maybe someone like Dan Lovren. Martin Skittle was certainly in that bracket. Daniel Lager was often injured. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the village was, was top class. And if you ask any Manchester United fan how good he was, they'll probably spend the next 20 minutes telling you. It's enjoyable to go through these. And whilst it is a, it, it is a bit painful to sort of think of the players that Liverpool could have signed, it, it is interesting the ones that have got away. There are a couple more on sort of the article on the Echo website that we might as well go through. And the biggest name of the lot, albeit perhaps past his best years, Theo Squires mentioning, and you spoke about a Portuguese winger before, Sean, but Luis Figo linked with a move to Anfield. Yeah, I saw that one from Theo. I think that's... A bit of romanticism from uh, Mr. Squires there, I think, because I think was was <laughs> around 32, 33 at that time. I mean, to be fair, obviously, you know, people might have scoffed when, when we got Gary McAllister. So, you know, it can, it can work. Um, but yeah, I'd, over those two, I'd, I think I'd stick with uh, stick with my choice of Samara. You would have got a, obviously a few more, more years out of, but certainly wouldn't have said no to Figo at the time. Now, Gorsty, you were on with Fitzy on Poetry in Motion this week talking about Diego Maradona and that were Liverpool yeah. actually ever interested in him this would have been a similar one really when you think about it because Luis Figo by this stage would have achieved everything in his career yeah if he'd come to Liverpool what are we <clears> talking <throat> probably similar time 2006-7 I'm, I'm not entirely sure if he would have wanted to get on board with what Rafa would have wanted from him yeah I must be honest I don't really remember that the whole Figo links I mean don't know how serious they were or, or whether they, they got anywhere near off the ground so I'm not too sure. Um, he was certainly past his best, wasn't he? He went to went from Barcelona to Real Madrid for 37 million in what 2000 was it? Um, so this was a good few years after he was his peak had gone, and um, an absolute legend of European football, no doubt about it. Probably up there with Eusebio and Ronaldo as, as Portugal's greatest ever players. But I don't really remember that being close to, to coming to fruition for Liverpool. I vaguely remember something about Figo wanting to come to Liverpool, but I don't know how serious Liverpool were about getting Figo because you think at the time he would have been, what, like 32, 33? Wrong side of 30 anyway. And did he go to, went to Syria and to Inter after, didn't he? Mm -hmm. Um, So you think 
the style of Premier League football, the classic fast pace, the classic strength and the Italian football being slower. Yeah, he might have flourished the Inter for a couple of years, but you just don't really see how he would particularly cut it, especially where what Liverpool would have needed out of a centre midfielder around that time as well. Yeah, definitely. And another guy to, to talk about, one that Kiva O'Neill brought up, is Danny Alves, who at different junctures of his career seems to have been linked with Liverpool. The deal's obviously never happened, never will happen. But Connor, I just wondered what your thoughts were on that Danny Alves having ever turned out at Anfield. Yeah, look, we obviously know how incredible Danny Alves became as a player at right back, one of those positions that Liverpool typically had some issues with over a number of years. He would have been a wonder there. And uh, I think the deal was looking like it was all going to happen until Liverpool decided that they would go and spend a bit more money on Dirk Cout. Now, depending on how you look at that, I think Dirk Cout was another one who embodied what it'd be to, to be a Liverpool player and, and just tried so hard every single week for Liverpool and was probably one of the best Rafa Benitez signings. Would Alves been the same player as he was in the Liga? It's hard to say, but super, super talented and would have made a big difference to that defence, you've got to say. Yeah, and I don't know if we're talking pre or post Jan Kronkamp, are we here, Gorsley? But that deal obviously didn't work out for Liverpool and Danny Alves would have been such a brilliant player to, to have come in. Yeah, around about the same time. Um, Liverpool struggled for right-backs for, for quite a while. Obviously, Benitez bought in Hossamy early on. He didn't really um, work. Steve Finner was a, was, a, was a very good full-back, wasn't he, for years, but... Liverpool would have got Danny Alves back in 2006, was it? You know, that would have completely transformed the way Liverpool attacked. I mean, he's, he's still still playing at a top level now, isn't he? He's been one of the finest right-backs across world football for, what, the last decade? Um, obviously, went, went to Barcelona and was won two or three Champions Leagues. I think he won back-to-back the way for Cups with Sevilla. He was, he was fantastic and... Um, that would, I think that was another one where Liverpool just refused to, to pay the extra few million pounds. And um, obviously, you're seeing now how influential a right back can be with, with Trent Alexander Arnold every week. And he was very much in that mould and probably a pioneer of, of the right back position across European football over the last, certainly the last 20 years. It's interesting, though, before you move on to Sean, I assume to get his thoughts on Alves, but. Mine, Sean's, Kiva's, all around that time of that 2006 after that Champions League when you're thinking if Liverpool had got Alves, Samal, if they like got Vidic, it would have been such an even more serious unit than they were going into the 2007 Champions League final, going into that 2008-9 season. And it's just, it's it's tough to talk about really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. And as you say there, Connor, difficult to look back and think, ah, oh, what could have been? One thing we don't we don't expect will happen with Liverpool in how they operate now in the transfer window is that in five, ten years' time, we'll be sat doing one of these saying, oh, what about X, Y and Z who got away? They they paid the money for Alisson. They paid the money for Virgil van Dijk. They've been getting these deals done. But that's not going to stop us here on the Blood Red podcast from talking about some that potentially we might still be talking about. And the first one I want to come to, to all three, you would just sort of swing round on this, starting with you, Gorsty, is Timo Werner, because these links have been going on for a long, long, long time now. And I do feel even if Liverpool, if there is concrete interest or not, if he goes anywhere other than Liverpool, you will have that question mark against him of thinking, what if? Definitely. I think um, you look at Christian Pulisic at Chelsea and he was a player who Liverpool had looked at and Klopp wanted early on. Um, he eventually went to Chelsea for around about 60 million. Hasn't really tore up any trees there. 
But if Timo Werner was to go somewhere else in the Premier League and, and continue playing the way he is at the moment at Leipzig, then you would say, why aren't Liverpool? Why weren't they, they at, at the table for this deal? It just seems to tick every box. Um, if the if the funds are there, then it, it should be a no-brainer. Yeah, Sean, just wondered your thoughts on that as well in terms of Timo Werner. That, of course, he says he's one of those that people say, oh, but where would he fit and everything? For me, you can't ever have too many good players. No, absolutely. And I think, obviously, well, the, the situation has changed now. We don't really know what's going to happen with, with football's resumption. But I think this this window, especially, or the coming window in the summer, was it, there was that acute need to, to get forward. And obviously, we expect Shakiri to move on perhaps Origi as well that's kind of started to be mooted but I think the the, the summer football that well, was due to be played um, the, the Olympics and other tournaments the Africa Cup of Nations as well it was it was due already to be a disrupted season for that for that front three so I think that to some extent dispelled the argument of well even if you get someone with the quality of Werner how is he going to replace um, any of the existing front three I think he, he would have got his chances even just based on rotation but I think like Gorsi said, he's he's lit up the Bundesliga this season, and he's he's good enough. I think he's 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 on that level to to get in that front three, and at some stage as well. Certainly, don't think it would be this summer. I think this is why you you try and add someone now. But Liverpool will will have to be thinking about succession planning. Um, I mean, there's there's absolutely no suggestion that the the lads up front have, have peaked or you know no 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 one's dipping. They're they're still excellent players. You know, week in week out, they're amongst the best in world football. But Always think you want to be that little bit ahead of the curve, don't you? In terms of when you when you look to replace a player, I think your 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 man Arsene Wenger was a kind of pioneer and, and master of that. And I think Liverpool in, in recent years have they must be thinking about things like that. So yeah, I think the the time would be now for someone like Werner. Yeah, obviously Klopp and Edwards always say, don't they, that they they plan two years ahead and they look two transfer windows in advance. And Werner seems to fit the bill. You know, he's young. Goal scoring record is phenomenal. Um, he's looked good every single time you've even really heard or seen of him. And he's, he seems like a definite clock player, being able to play anywhere across the front three. A lot of things make sense about him. But then just to give this perspective in terms of ones that got away and Pulisic in particular, obviously Klopp wanted Pulisic, but in the end, Liverpool decided not to go for him. And it looks like Liverpool made the right decision. Liverpool have that transfer committee that we've spoken about who make these decisions, who plan for succession, who put meticulous plans in place and look at players probably way, way beyond what we could even dream of. So although Werner might might not come to Anfield, although I, I do have a sneaky suspicion he will, if he does go elsewhere, I have every belief that it's the right decision for Liverpool because right now the way Liverpool is being run, the way the transfers happen, you just can't fault them. No, and I know this is very off-piste in terms of all of this, and it's it's not technically a transfer that would have to happen, but just thinking there, as Sean was talking, you were talking as well, Connor, about in terms of succession planning and thinking a couple of years down the road. Rian Brewster's obviously a guy that we've, we've heard and read and talked a lot about over the last few years, and I just wonder, with this suspension of football happening at this stage, of course, it seems another real setback for him because he, he was doing well at Swansea. He was scoring goals. He was doing everything that had been asked of him. If he was to then come in and actually not just be a training squad member for Jurgen Klopp, but actually get minutes off the bench? Yeah, I think I think he's one of a couple who's just been a victim of, of circumstance this season. This was meant to be the year where he really cracked on and, and got some Premier League minutes under his belt and made his first team debut and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And he was actually the reason why Liverpool stayed clear of Werner 18 months or so ago, because 
he had that pathway in place for Brewster, and he's obviously suffered that leg break and ankle injury together, which kept him out for around about a year, I think, 13, 14 months. And he's finally got to a level where he's training with the squad and ready to, to step up. Liverpool haven't really been in a position to give him a chance because virtually most of Liverpool's games this season have been fought until the very last minute. So there have been few opportunities for him to come on and get 15, 20 minutes here and there because they've needed goals or, or whatever. He obviously played a couple in the um, EFL Cup, but um, found a hard goal in there. And he went out on loan and was starting to show what he can do at Swansea. So, yeah, he's been unfortunate with this particular suspension. Um, hopefully, when everything's all back and running and, and everything's safe to do so next season, uh, we can start to see a little bit more about what he's about because he'll be around about 2021 20, by then. So, uh, we'll start seeing a little bit more of Ryan Brewster, hopefully. Positively, though, what I was thinking there, um, it's it's maybe a blessing in disguise. There's no, no suggestion it's a good thing that he was injured, obviously, but the fact he's had to bounce back from this injury, the fact he's had to have a long layoff, the fact he's had to mentally come through this before, this of this break in the season obviously is a little bit disruptive to him, considering the fact he's just started to hit form and find goals. But he's done it before, and you think, you know, the way that Klopp looks at players and the way Klopp's spoken about Bruce and his mentality and everything else, you think he'd just have everything in his locker just to go again without a doubt. Yeah, definitely. And in terms of just these ones that, that got away, we'll wrap this up just here, Sean. Just a, a couple of one to just sort of put to you that are these players that we're going to look back and think Liverpool should have made more of an effort to sign. One being a man who moved in the last January window, Bruno Fernandes. He was very much linked with Liverpool through the course of last summer. And another who may be coming up on the market is Jadon Sancho. Yeah, well, obviously Fernandes, he's had, he's had a fantastic start at United, hasn't he? You certainly can't deny that. My my inclination with him though, and you know this this could this could hugely jinx things, but I, I, he feels more of a United player than a Liverpool player to me. I think he's not necessarily a system player and a, a phenomenal individual talent. Clearly, we've we've seen that already, haven't we? And he's he's hit the ground running, which is exactly what you want from a from a big money signing, not not least when he comes in in January. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, the, the, the links to him with Liverpool, I think, were, were quite tentative. But, but like you say, guy, he was he was there, he was on the market, and 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 he's he moved to a rival. So you know, fair enough to to, to throw him out there. But yeah, I don't know that he would necessarily fit Klopp's system. Um, and so on that level, I'm not too concerned that Liverpool have missed out on him. But Sancho, I I think he's the one. I think you often wonder, don't you? Like if you were throw to to throw like Mbappe out there, for example, I'd, I'd wonder if he came to the Premier League, would he would he want to then go and end up at Barcelona or Madrid, perhaps? Sancho, I, I do wonder, I know he's very young, but he's he's already had the experience of going to play abroad and it feels like he will come back and have a good stint at a Premier League club. So you think, I think almost with him more than, more than most of the other names we've talked about, someone's going to get him. So Liverpool at the very least, I would like to think would, you know, potentially be in the conversation and be, be keeping tabs on him. But obviously then it comes down to wage structures, financial budgets, all of which he would he would test. Um, but yeah, I, I, I see him moving to England at some stage in the near future and I would like Liverpool to be involved if they could be. And then let's move on from there then back to towards the football, the situation we currently find ourselves in. Obviously, football... I think it was 10 days or so ago, announced that obviously the Premier League announced that the season would be ex extended indefinitely. We would get a conclusion to the season. But ever since Gorsty, especially the last couple of days, I know Step 
three to, to five in non-league football have decided that their seasons have now been null and void and expunged from record books. You get a feeling this might be the beginning of something, but obviously we, we quite clearly hope that it won't be. But it, it's definitely something that I'm sure you certainly will be, be keeping an eye on. Yeah, we'll be keeping an eye on it, of course. I mean, I think... There's two ways to look at it, really. I think you can look at the news yesterday that the the, the non-leagues from three till six would be um, basically expunged from the record, which just seems so harsh to so many clubs, uh, not least Foxhall Motors, who were actually already promoted and will have to try and do that same thing again next season. Some people took that as um, an impending sign of it being spread across the entire football pyramid. Some people took it as a sign that because that hasn't been included, then football will... Um, reach a, a conclusion. I think I think we can only be, be guided by what's already happened. And the statement eight days ago said that there would be an indefinite uh, extension of this season, whatever happens. So that means whether the league finishes in June, July or New Year's Day, it will finish. It will have a, a conclusion. There will be a winner. There will be three relegated, two promoted, three promoted from the championship. And so I suppose at the moment, we've just got to be guided by what the football authorities are saying. And, and that is the, the very latest from them. Um, the the, the non-league steps three to six. I mean, that is some way below the, the Premier League and, and the the TV deal that's worth nine point two billion and one hundred and seventy million pounds you get just for being promoted to the Premier League. So these are these are ridiculous figures. And at the end of the day, these figures will have a burden on what happens. Um, there's already talk that there's going to be some legal legal wranglings from the the decision that was taken yesterday. So imagine that on a a hundred thousand scale extra with the Premier League and Championship clubs unhappy, Premier League clubs unhappy, could be a very messy situation if they were to to follow suit from yesterday yesterday's decision. Yeah, as, as Gorsty says there, Connor, the key difference being obviously step three to to six in non-league. They, there are clubs that do. Uh, pay their, their players part-time. They are obviously all part-time football clubs. The money involved, not anything like it is in the Premier League. And given there's already been this announcement that the season will be extended indefinitely, it would be some uh, U-turn from the Premier League and even the EFL to now decide that actually football in this country won't see the conclusion of the 2019-2020 season. Yeah, certainly. I mean, as we've as we've heard from Gorsi there, there is huge, huge, huge amounts of money involved and money talks in this game. There's the legal battles that would go on between the biggest clubs in world football, you're thinking your Man United's and your Liverpool's against the, it would it would be crazy. It would be absolutely carnage. So you can't really see it happening. I think the most interesting couple of things I've seen in the last couple of days, Steve Bruce was the first manager, Newcastle manager. So he spoke out, first manager in the Premier League to speak out since the lockdown. And he said that all of the managers and all the teams are reiterating the point that they want to get this season finished. And he came up with an idea that's been floated around about the festival football where You'd have a game on every single day of the week. Teams would be playing two or three days a week to get the season done. And then you had Man United coming out today, giving a statement to their season ticket holders and ticket holders for remaining games and saying, oh, we we have a commitment to get this season finished. We want to play the Premier League because, you know, they're still fighting for it. So there's some really big clubs around that are supporting essentially what Liverpool would want. And that is to finish and to play this season. Yeah, that is obviously definitely the the case and the feeling. You, you talk about Manchester United there and Sean, peace on the echo that's gone down favourably indeed that Manchester United obviously coming out and saying that they want the season to be done almost in support of the viewpoint that, that Liverpool and obviously all the Reds share themselves. 
Yeah, I think I think that's the key thing from a Liverpool fan's perspective, from anyone who follows Premier League football, I'd say, really, is that that statement sums up the, the point of view of that of that kind of faction of football, if you like. I think that's one thing that's, that's marked all discussions over the last few weeks. It seems that there was a unified view, certainly from what UEFA have said and then what Premier League clubs have said in the main, that there was this commitment to getting things done. As Gorsi's mentioned, the, the, the Premier League decision to, to kind of ex- extend things indefinitely and kind of rewrite their own rules to a certain extent. I think, yeah, it is it is a real shame that the, the English football pyramid has been has been fractured and broken. Um, and that does does present itself with it with its own problems. But like you guys said at the beginning of this discussion, it's it's quite a a small segment of, of the pyramid, isn't it? Well there's a lot of grassroots football, but it's not, you know, relegation and promotion at the highest levels won't be affected. I think there's a piece which I'd encourage everyone to read written by um Sam Carroll on our website yesterday, which which went into the the nature of the problems for for these teams, like Ghosty mentioned, Vauxhall Motors and others who already had things decided about their season. And yeah, I, I think I see it. There's, there's two different strands. There's the there's the kind of elite top flight football where there does still seem to be this unity across across Europe, really. And and I think if, if that was to be broken by a certain country or a certain league making a decision at the highest level to cancel things, I think then there'd be problems. But it doesn't. But that's not the case at the moment. And then the other side of the coin is is the the grassroots levels, which are going to be hugely affected. And I think it's incumbent on the bigger clubs in in all the big European countries to kind of help out where they can. Yeah. Also, lower Breck, I think worth worth a mention as well. If anyone from from them is listening at all, very much an Anfield club, and they were looking as though they were on the verge of securing promotion themselves. But guys, thanks a lot for for joining us. We continue to obviously do this from our own houses through technology, and uh, yeah, appreciate you you joining me for the latest podcast. Thank you very much, mate. No problem, mate. Thank you. And also like to thank you guys, the listeners and viewers. Uh, whether you're at home stuck in lockdown yourselves looking to pass the time or if you're, you're one of the key and essential workers, whether you're with the NHS, a delivery driver or whatever it may be and you're just enjoying a, a bit of entertainment from us here on the Blood Red podcast, it's very much appreciated. And until next time, thanks for your time and company. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.